to Dreammakers, a gathering of dreammakers, visionaries, and interesting people who enjoy drinking wine together. I am your host, Neha Sampat, a serial entrepreneur, a certified sommelier, hence having wine on the show, and the founder and CEO of Content Stack, which is a modern technology stack for digital content. I named this podcast Dreammakers after my leadership team at Content Stack because I call them Dreammakers and they do that for the team and the company. It's a group of individuals I've had the pleasure of working with for many years building businesses together. And we regularly challenge ourselves to do things differently, kind of being rebels or mavericks and, and doing so, so that we can benefit our employees, our community, our partners, and our customers. Today, I'm joined with two very special female rebels in the supply chain industry. Welcome, Deborah and Sherry. Hi, ladies. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining today. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you might associate with the term changemaker or rebel? Hi, my name is Deborah Dull. I uh, love three things that are relevant to this podcast. I love supply chain. I think it's a wildly interesting industry. I love to travel that is currently on hold. And I love the concept of a circular economy. And we can talk more about what that is and why those are so interesting to me. The rebellious spirit, uh, my parents would say was there from a young age, but as a professional really coming from a consistent use of the words, why not? Um, and I've always wondered why, why can't we do that? Why not go for the bigger goal? Why not set the vision a little bit higher? Um, just because there's a policy doesn't mean we can't change it. Just because there's a barrier doesn't mean we can't remove it. And having that um, why not curiosity and challenge, I think is frustrating for some people who have worked with me, but also very enlightening for others. And so when looking around the world and saying, who else asks why not a lot, um, it can be hard to find others like me. And so uh, when Sherry and I were connected through a mutual connection, we realized that we see the world similarly. Uh, and realize, gosh, there are others like us out there in the world. How can we give them a platform? Yeah, De Deborah's journey seems a little bit more anchored than mine. I think I spent a large portion of my life not having a voice and not really um, thinking that all of the wonderful things that have happened now in this very moment were even possible. So when I think about dream maker it's something very tangible that if you see something if you breathe it if you believe it it is within your grasp and i think that sometimes people they can get bogged down in real systemic change and structure like generational poverty and access to education so those are some things that i went through as a first generation college student the first woman in my family to go to school you know, the fact that I wasn't married at 30 something, right? <laughs> There's all this pressure that you, that you have. And I think growing up in that environment, I didn't really find my voice until my early thirties, maybe mid thirties. And it just literally was like this series of events where I push back, like Deborah mentioned, you're like, well, well, why not me? Like I'm doing it. And that was sort of how the Supply Chain Queen brand was born as well. So I love supply chain. I've always loved supply chain. 
and it's my thing and that's why I wake up I think about it I see it in everything um, so I'm super excited to be here and I think that you you have an inspirational journey as well so it's a real pleasure Thank you. I love it. The rebels, the dream makers, the supply chain queen, and asking why not, that, um, that all resonates with me, and I appreciate having you on the show. Um, I'd like to transition to one of my favorite parts of the podcast, which is what's in the glass. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this wine, getting this wine to all three of us in different states and in different places, but the same wine. Um, was not without its challenges, and we might talk a little bit about that later. But this is a 2018 Joseph Drouin uh, Chablis from the region of Chablis in France. Oh, there we go, the bottle. And many people may or may not know this, but Chablis is actually made with 100% Chardonnay. And when most Americans think of Chardonnay, they think of buttery, oaky whites. This is not that. This is very different from that. And the reason I chose this wine is because in my first conversation with Deborah, she told me that she liked stony, chalky whites. And um, I went straight to Chablis. That was the first region I thought of. And it was also a bottle that we could all get access to, <laughs> which was great. Winemakers in the Chablis region are not unlike other French winemakers. They're very proud of their terroir. And the terroir in that region is specifically known for its limestone soil, you know, kind of marine fossils that have been there for hundreds of years that really inspire what the flavor of the wine will be. So let's all take a sip together. We can talk a little bit about it. So what I really love about Chablis as compared to like a typical California Chardonnay or any other Chardonnay that's in, um, that has that oaky flavor is that this is actually aged in steel vats. This has zero oak on it. It sits in steel vats for seven to eight months. And so you get that kind of chalky flavor, you get the flavor, flavor of the ground, the terroir, not, not flavor from the barrels that you would typically get from another Chardonnay. Um, this is actually, so Chablis is in the Burgundy region, but typically when we think about Burgundy, we're thinking about Pinot Noirs, you know, red wines. And so Chablis stands out on its own, it's kind of got its own character, its own, its own cachet, so to say. And um, it's light-ish in alcohol content, it's 12.5% as compared to a lot of the California wines that you might come across. And you get a lot of citrusy tones. So like green apple, um, citrus, light citrus flavors, maybe a little bit of like white floral, you know, uh, petals. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that it's not too acidic. So it's not like it's some Pinot Gris hitting me in the face with eating a lime. It's actually really nice that it's extremely balanced. And so thank you, Neha, for being a sommelier and picking a great <laughs> um, But it's yeah, extremely it's drinkable. Nice. Very drinkable. I think we'll probably finish the bottle on this, on this uh, lovely podcast. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it's, it's alive. It's very sprightly, like, like this group of individuals. So with that, mm. I would recommend this bottle. And it's uh, under 30 bucks, pretty accessible. We were all able to get it in our own states, which is awesome. And let's transition to learning a little bit about everybody's wine stories. So I'm a certified sommelier. I've been studying wine for my whole adult life and some of my, my college life and uh, spent a little bit of time in France, which made me really obsessed with wine. And so I decided to turn it, my passion into a project of, of um, really just learning to the point where I knew enough to be able to be a little dangerous, but not, um, not so bad. But I'd love to hear about your wine stories. Deborah, do you want to kick us off? 
Sure, yeah. My favorite part about wine has traditionally been to be told a story. And so when I go into a wine shop and somebody will give me a half glass of wine and tell me a story, I will definitely buy the bottle. Um, so I've always been so taken by where something is and even telling a story about two sides of a slope and the terroir is so different. I think that is so fascinating. I have almost no memory for geography. I, I have a hard time remembering everything, but I, I find it so lovely in the moment. And so along those lines, uh, my older brother actually read this book called Cork Dork. And it's a journalist who set out to become a sommelier from zero, from zero, from like, I think it's red to journalist in a year, or sorry, to sommelier in a year. And um, she's a great writer. It's really funny, highly recommend. But he asked me, you know, have you read this yet? Have you read this yet? So I finally read the book and it was delightful. And in her book, she seeks out a wine bar to really test her knowledge. And she finds a rebel in the wine community. Um, and his name is Paul. And he runs a wine bar in New York called Terroir. Highly recommend. He's also doing a very funny daily update from the bunker for <laughs> COVID right now. Very funny on Instagram. Uh, anyway, and so I had gone by um, with my partner and we had just such a lovely evening and, you know, we sat down and said, we really want to learn. We really want stories told. Like, tell us about this wine. Tell us the journey of it. And so as this became our favorite wine bar, but somewhat geographically prohibitive as I am based in Seattle and they are in New York, as I came up on a otherwise seemingly unimportant birthday, I planned a party. So I turned 33 on Three, three. Pandronomical birthday in multiple ways. Yes. So that was last year. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be fun to do something big for no reason except it's silly? And um, so I invited some friends in my immediate family. And I asked Paul and the team to do a 33 wine flight. <laughs> One ounce pours. We were there for, I think, six hours. It was unbelievable. It was incredibly fun. We don't really remember the last two hours, um, <laughs> but the pictures came out lovely. My parents came um, and it was just such a cool way to introduce people who aren't, both aren't familiar with wine and very familiar with wine. And we just had a lovely time. So I'm a lifelong learner. I don't know how much sticks, not a lot, uh, but I love to hear the stories. <laughs> when we were studying wine, it would always be the first six to eight ounces are the ones that you would remember. Beyond that, it was like all bets are off. Like I think I've already consumed eight ounces of this wine, Neha. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. Thank you for sharing that story. That's awesome. How about you, Sherry? So I actually started in wine and spirits in wholesale distribution. So that was sort of like how I started learning about supply chain outside of education, but whatever I learned in the books. And it's very, very complex believe it or not, in a three-tier a three distribution system. I had a lot of fun. I tasted a lot of wines. Going from wine and spirits to specialty chemicals, not sexy. You go from <laughs> eating the best food, drinking the best wine, to not. Being like in, rooms. <laughs> in the middle of Texas, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but it was a super cool nine-year stint. And actually right now I was supposed to be in Tuscany doing research on regenerative farming. And there's a biodynamic winery there in Spinocchia where I was supposed to stay for two, two and a half weeks. So that would have been really, really cool. Hopefully I'll be able to go next spring, 
We're not going to say why we can't go because we don't <laughs> say the C word. We <laughs> try to be positive at the supply chain revolution. Right, right. So um, that was a really cool, ex or would have been a cool experience because um, there are elements of the circular economy in their um, agroforestry and permaculture practices at Spinokia. So really, really, so really cool. cool. Hand pruned. So Everything's cool. hand pruned. Zero I hope, waste. I hope you do get to go. And when you do, let's have you back yeah. so you can tell us about it. We'll just go to. live. We'll just go I, live. I've yeah. invited myself. So the upside <laughs> of this moving means that I'm coming too. Yeah, well, just also a ghost. <laughs> I think there's a ghost too. So it's a really old estate. Oh, that's <laughs> apparently, yeah. So I'm also going ghost hunting. That's not applicable for this discussion. I will but in not case be anyone was wondering. I will not be joining you. So we'll I'll be looking, be Deborah and I are going to be looking for truffles. <laughs> Deborah, you're coming That's, with me, aren't you? I think truffle hunting, Neha, is more dangerous because the mafia runs truffle hunting. So if you find a truffle, there's going to be like a mafia guy coming out from behind a tree being like, That's mine. Ghost hunting. Now, I am legitimately scared of the dark. I'm 34 years old and I am scared of the dark. I am seeing an energy healer for this. Um, and what? your reaction, Neha, of like, cool, there's a ghost. My reaction was like, a oh, hell no. I will see you later in the daytime. <laughs> you have to come with me. We've already I'm, had I'm coming. Discussion. I'm just not coming ghost hunting. It's kind of like the supply chain revolution. Everything is positive. <laughs> to me, I only think of happy ghosts. I don't think about bad ghosts. Oh, deal. As long as it's Casper, like, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> so let's talk about supply chain revolution. And I mean, both of you have so much expertise, and I don't know anything about supply chain in that industry. It's all new to me, and I've been learning a little bit just by learning about you. But tell us a little bit about supply chain revolution, what that means, and you know how Rebel fits into that. And, um, and let's just, yeah, let's jump into that a little bit. Yeah, I think a large part of the supply chain revolution is disrupting the status quo, the business as usual operating model and the way that we've always done things. And when, when Deborah and I connected, it was actually over wine, our first several conversations, which is, which is interesting. <laughs> um, Lean this against the bar glass they give you at a bar, you know, your pint of water. And then we would drink together in whatever, wherever we were in the Drinking. world, we would just like have a glass or two and talk over. That connection is real, my friends. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. It's a universal connection, drinking, uh, you know, connecting over a beverage, whether it's wine, tea, coffee. Yes. But we, we found ourselves coming back to the same themes that, you know, we need more diversity and inclusion. We need to think about building a sustainable world for the future. We need to think about a circular world. And it all led to the concept of a supply chain revolution and a rebel. And we both feel like we're, we're rebels. I mean, in our own way, that's the beauty of being a rebel. You can have, you know, 50 people who are completely different, but they're, they're united under purpose and under cause. Um, so... Deborah, what do you think? How would you define our progress in our first 11 weeks? If you have ever sat and thought or stood or walked or run and thought to yourself, God, there's got to be another way. You're one of us. So a lot of the things, and we cover diversity inclusion, we cover sustainability, we cover accountability and supply chain structures, et cetera. A lot of it comes back to there has to be another way to do this. And that could mean for 
a junior inventory analyst whose job is to figure out where that inventory has traveled in the last 12 months. And it's tough to do. It's tough to figure that out in today's supply chain world because we've gone from no news is good news from the supply chain very rapidly to I want to see everything that the supply chain is doing. Um, so it could be at that level, right, of, of gosh, there's got to be another way to be able to see this. And therein lays some of the cool um, tech that's coming out of 4.0. So there's kind of these, this mindset of there has to be another way. And, you know, another example is that Sherry and I have been investigating, uh, not investigating, what should I show, showcasing a concept called a panel, which is an all-male panel. Don't get me uh, started. Is, I'm just going to briefly mention it. I've been calling Mantles out today. We I called out five more. Yes. Mantles all, so day, all the time. All the problem. Time. Yes. We have these conferences, these days, webinars that are all men. But here's the catch. The field is not all men. And so we think to ourselves, there's got to be another way. Namely, reflect the field that you're representing. And so we ran some numbers and we've been calling out Mantles virtually because Neha, as you and I were talking about recently, there is no excuse right now. The world is literally open to you as guest speakers because everything has gone virtual. So yes. any, any reason you previously had to not include a woman. And I recently had a, a post on or a response on LinkedIn that every supply chain professional and put anything in there, any science professional, any HR professional knows a female supply chain professional, all of them, 100%. So all you have to do is ask the man you were going to ask to be on the panel, hey, do you know a woman with a great perspective? All you have to do is ask. <laughs> it seems so straightforward, but like level, leveling the playing field, it's a big passion of mine. Obviously, the tech industry has a similar problem, and I've been sitting on mammals as the only woman for, for years now. And I, all you have to do is ask, like, we just don't get asked. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. You know what, what else is crazy is I've had three responses in the past 24 hours where the conference organizer said, well, we asked a woman and she declined or, you know, scheduled. And I said, ask another one. <laughs> you, you've asked one, you've checked the box for diversity. So you're off the hook. It's just unbelievable that people, if you truly want to have a representative sample of thought leadership, put in the work. Yeah. The work. You know what I do love with, uh, with what's happened with everyone moving to virtual is it has leveled the playing field to some extent for, uh, you know, at least what I see within my network and my employee base is parents are being parents and they're also doing their jobs, whether it's a mom or a dad really, the gender hasn't mattered, but just like what we experienced earlier on this call, like it's it's very real to be interrupted by by your kid, and that's life. And that for the first time is now normal, right? So there's some things that are happening that is coming out of all of this that is very positive, and the new normal will will continue to incorporate that even when we get past this time and and return to you know going out all the time and doing all the normal stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And if we can just take that up a level and make it normal for anyone and everyone to have access to participate in these conversations, we can level the way people think about things. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Yay. So both of you are so inspiring and you have such great positive vibes in social media and you're, you're starting to get like the word out about supply chain revolution. And I keep seeing great things and lots of people talking about you, which is super exciting. Can you talk a little bit about how you're using that positivity and that energy to kind of inspire people and lead during this pandemic? So here's an interesting uh, observation about my behavior. When I hear something that is negative or an, oh, why is that happening type of a piece of news? This could be from a coworker, somebody saying like, oh my God, I was mansplained again today, or I was interrupted in the meeting. My response is laughter. This is my immediate response because it's so absurd the only thing I can do is laugh about it. And so when I read some of the posts online, typically my response is like to laugh, whether it's positive, negative, or somewhere in between. And then I'll think about things and figure out how to turn what it is into a dialogue. So there's the positive side of like, gosh, we're really exploring new fronts here. Can we hold on to positives about our current situation. I think it's really humanizing people for the first time. So our coworkers are not titles. They're for the first time parents and spouses and human beings who have a home. And now in a lot of ways we've been, we're now in their homes. Uh, and then there's the negatives where some people just want to argue disrespectfully. And what I'm finding is with only a couple of responses, we can turn to a more positive divergence and something that Sherry is a huge proponent of and we promote among the discussions that we have is divergence. And that's okay. We want a discussion and a debate and otherwise how will the field move forward? Right. Um, but we do so without being jerks about it. And so if we can move this forum of the internet into a space that is respectful divergence, I think we could really have something quite powerful on our hands that really would shift truly millions of lives. Yeah, I, just to piggyback on what Deborah said, I have always enjoyed challenging paradigms and doing it in a way where it's meaningful and it's not, I mean, I guess it's a little edgy because I'm a yeah. little edgy, but uh, yeah, it's, I'm still professional and I yeah, think- You're not a jerk. That, it's edgy. You can be edgy without being- Yeah, I'm edgy, but it's professional. And um, also I think I have a demonstrated track record online on social media where people know that my heart's in the right place and they have a sense of who I am. So even if by chance you just catch me in an off moment, typically it's easy to cushion something that is very provocative and potentially negative with a reason why. So for me, social media has been a really, it's been a conduit to provide access to information, different points of view, to start conversations that are either forgotten or that people really don't have the courage to even talk about because there's a conspiracy of silence around that topic, mm -hmm. which is a huge thing that we, we actually do have provocative points of view. And that's part of what we evangelize on the Supply Chain Revolution podcast also. And, um, you know, the brunch and learn. So giving people an opportunity, a free space where you can sign up. We have limited seats, but you come as you are. However that is, if you're wearing pajamas, that's fine. Um, there are no airs, there are no perceptions. And we have a really broad audience too. That's the other thing that I think is super cool. We have as many men as women. We have you know, very young 
folks in STEM and supply chain. And then we also have very senior leaders who join, which is also inspiring because they also feel like there's a better way and they want some of the tools and psychology and insights to how to lead future generations in their organization and their supply chain. So it's super cool. I love that. It's like, like you said, a place that's provocative, but also safe and having that diversity and the inclusion of, of young people and people that are further along in their careers and inspiring each other. I think that's super awesome that you guys are doing that. And I'm looking forward to participating. Um, I have a topic I know Deborah is super passionate about, and I think you both will be, but inventory. Um, let's talk about inventory. And I'm going to start with just saying that, you know, it took us a couple of weeks just to figure out how to get the same bottle of wine to three different people in three different states. And we did figure it out. And, you know, thank God, God bless the internet. And there's, <laughs> delicious. there's lots of really great stuff out there that's helping us get there. But Talk a little bit about what's happening with inventory, how things have evolved, um, you know, what makes you so passionate about it? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> so for whatever reason, I see the world in inventory turn. And what an inventory turn, all it means is this is here and now it's not. It has moved on to a new place. And we talk about this in, turn, in terms of turns and often inventory turns are related to the health of a business because how fresh is your inventory? In food, this makes a lot of sense, right? You'll have fresh produce and you need to turn it quickly. However, this also applies when back once a few months ago, we could go out to dinner and they wanna turn the tables and they even use the same word. And so when we think about the way that inventory moves around the world, I find that fascinating. There's people saying art and a science. It's not really though, it's a science. It follows the same rules. If you push on inventory the same way twice, it'll do the same thing. There are, however, many, many, many different elements that happen during that push. And consumers, or I'll restate humans, uh, play a huge element in this and we're really difficult to predict. Uh, and we'll see some of that erratic consumer behavior nowadays in the choices consumers make to buy at the grocery store, for example. But it really is everything. If you take a moment and just look around where you are right now, every single item got to you because of an inventory manager somewhere in the world. Yes, there was a designer. And at that point, there was a shift to supply chain. We had to find those materials, make it, move it figure out how to get it to you, give you a tracking number, make sure you had a delightful experience. Uh, and then later we can talk maybe about the circular economy, meaning you're not the ending point. So after you've used your chair as a chair, it has a second life and a third life and a, ideally a hundredth life and a thousandth life. And as we think about that as a supply chain or from inventory perspective, it's mind blowing and, uh, and really, really exciting. She really does love inventory. I really, <laughs> I mean, she could keep going. So Deborah. <laughs> I was, was it like the first, the first time we met face to face and we decided to do all this, right? She came to my house mm -hmm. and my friends were like, wait, you met a woman on the internet and now you're going to go stay at her house. <laughs> I was like, yeah, why not? She's 20. Okay. She's in supply chain. Of course I'm going right. to go. Um, <laughs> so we're, 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 we're decompressing, having a glass of wine. And I ask her just casually getting to know her what's your favorite thing in the world? Like what's the one <laughs> thing that makes you tick? 
And it's like, I don't know, way past my bedtime because I go to bed at like 10 o'clock. It's probably like 1230. And she's like, inventory. Inventory. <laughs> and I, I, I pause and I'm like, she's my kind of girl. <laughs> she really does love inventory. Fascinating. I love the breadth of supply chain and system dynamics. And, you know, she likes inventory. inventory. It goes through waste. the system. You can make the system, but what goes through it is the thing that we're all planning for. Like, we've all so been- fascinated by your fascination. But- I mean, it's the difference between like planning for an event and the event happening, right? So you can yeah. plan for people to come through, but once they actually show up, isn't that exciting to watch? Like the system dynamics is how we plan for that huge event to happen. And that event might be just be like, somebody bought the green shirt instead of the green shirt. <laughs> And everybody goes wild. So going into a grocery store with Deborah is like <laughs> Keanu Reeves in the Matrix where he's like dodging the bullets and she's oh, taking it all in. And she's like, I wonder if we buy three bottles of this. Is it going to throw off their demand plan? Isn't that their replenishment funny? cycle for next month. Should I just buy one or should we buy three and see what happens? And I'm like, just one. <laughs> I love it. We came in for spiced rub. Let's leave. Okay. So you talked about, you briefly talked about circular economy. What does that even mean? Super. So my second favorite topic. Um, so here's the deal. Today we buy a thing, we use it, and then we typically either give it to Goodwill or throw it away. And uh, this happens also at an industrial level. So all of the components that, for example, function in order for you to be able to turn the lights on and the lights to go on, there's a whole supply chain behind that. And what happens is once one large piece of equipment is used up, ideally it can be refurbished, reused as itself again and again and again. But at some point it's shot. There's not a way that you can continue allowing it to be itself. So then we take the metals or plastics and make it into something else in theory. However, in today's world, we have what's called a linear economy, which means pretty much at the end of life, that's kind of the end of the life. And that's why we end up with ocean plastics and food that gets thrown into the garbage instead of um, composted, for example. So what the circular economy says is, wait, there is more value in the material you just threw away. And you can actually sell that and make more money as a company. Uh, and if the whole world did this, it's worth several trillion dollars extra over what we do today. So that's component one. Component two from a risk perspective is that we are actually running out of what's inside the planet, uh, namely gold. We have less than 10 years left. And I use air quotes on that because there is gold left, but it just is so difficult to find and mm. process. And so it's, it's tough when you think about, gosh, if, any, if anybody has kids and they're teenagers and they may not even have gold for their wedding bands and they may not have, you know, these normal traditions we have as a society may not be able to be sustained. So where we need to look instead is the gold that's already on the surface of the planet. And it might look like something else. And can we process that into something else? And so the whole concept of the circular economy, I think it should really be called like a loopy economy, but it doesn't quite have the same academic ring to it. But that's really what it is. How do we take, make, exchange, reuse, leave a thing as itself as long as possible, uh, which I think is just a fascinating concept. You know what's also fascinating? Challenging the paradigm 
of what's considered to be value valued in a relationship. And you, you mentioned the tradition of gold rings and diamond rings, and you think about human rights and ethical trade Mm -hmm. and how, how would you define your symbol of love to someone? I think maybe breaking that paradigm is something that we should explore as women. Absolutely. I, yeah, totally agree with you. Totally agree. Yes. (laughs) This is so fascinating. I loved, I loved hearing, uh, learning a little bit more about supply chain and circular economy. And I feel, I feel more educated than I was when I started. And I'm actually a little bit excited about inventory and I think I'll never think about things the same again. I'm going to look at like everything with a different light. So thank you for that. I would like to just kind of end and leave everybody with a thought around what dream makers really means at a much higher level, which is that we're all people that like to give back and leave the place that we're in better than we came to it. And with that in mind, especially in these trying times, um, we'd all like to suggest a service or cause that we'd like to give back to and we'd like to encourage anyone who's viewing to also give back um, so I um, invite you, Sherry, to start, and then we'll just go in a circle and share our causes and, and, and take it from there. Sure. So um, in a couple of our episodes, we explore uh, female reproductive rights and access to feminine care, and supply chain is actually that conduit. So I would like to recommend the Africa Resource Center. You can find them online. They're also referred to as arc.org super cool organization and they are empowering leaders and women to build sustainable supply chains in Africa. So we appreciate your support. Awesome. So mine is an academic slant. I was a scholarship kid and went to an in-state school and really went after all the different scholarships I could find. And as I uh, started having a salary, that's the way I chose to give back to my university. Um, I give them time and I sit on their board and I have actually endowed a scholarship there called, it's a supply chain joke. So if you're not in supply chain, you won't get it. Uh, but it's called the Available to Promise Scholarship. Um, and you're welcome to give money to that scholarship or any university program. Even a little bit of money to a college student is so much money especially when things get tight, when right now a lot of summer internships have been rescinded, job offers have been rescinded, and we have sort of a replay of 2008, 2009. So even $20, $50 is a massive difference to a lot of these college kids who are just getting their feet underneath them, many of them first-generation college kids themselves, and trying to figure out how to navigate this world. So I encourage you, if, if education's your thing, um, find an area to give some money to, and it will absolutely be appreciated. Awesome. Thank you. And to share mine, and this week was uh, the week of Giving Tuesday, and we made a really great dent in a fundraiser that I'm supporting, which is to benefit a a community that's very special to me in India. It's where our engineering offices are for the companies that I run and support. And um, it's it's kind of a small town, not known for wealth, but very, very wealthy in terms of heart and hospitality, and they've been um, incredible to us as we've grown the businesses there over the last 15 years. And so there's tons of migrant workers that are displaced from their homes. They're just trying, they can't get home, but they don't have shelter. They don't necessarily have access to food. And so it's it's a trust that I've set up a GoFundMe for. I'll put the link into the blog post and we're just trying to get 
cash to that trust. Every dollar, every rupee is going directly to support the people of that community in Vasavirar um, in India. So um, it's in the state of Maharashtra, not too far from Mumbai. So that's my cause for this week. And um, I just want to thank you both. I'm so inspired by you and I'm so looking forward to spending more time with you and getting to know you better. And um, I'd like to raise a toast to the rebels of supply chain and um, gen generally to everyone who's watching and that is inspired by these women as much as I am. Cheers. Cheers. Be dream makers, everyone. <laughs>